My name is Jasmine Nicole, and if you press play on this podcast, you came to Seasoned Crime to hear a story about a minority. This is the podcast where you'll hear a new case with each episode, and with each one, I strive to share with you a highlight about a crime that in one way or another involves a person who falls in a minority protected class. These stories aren't on the front page of the papers or they're not flashing all over your newsfeed. I look for the ones that have stories that are just as important but have been overlooked. I look at all races, sexualities, genders, countries, everything that easily gets bypassed. True crime doesn't discriminate and neither do we. What's been going on with everybody? Things have been pretty low-key for me lately and I love it. I am putting this story together as I'm on my way to and from Oklahoma for the weekend. We ended up going to the cabins for my aunt's birthday, so I had a really good, relaxing weekend. I did my best to not do any work at all, except for on the ride there and on the ride back. And so it went pretty well. I think I was on, while I was there, I think maybe I was on for no more than like 45 minutes, and then I got off and enjoyed my weekend in the peace and relaxation, so... It always does a body good just to take a breath. Other than that, I still have everything else going on around me, so I'm just going on to make sure that everything gets done within a 24-hour day. The good thing is, this week is the final week of school for my son, so at least that makes things just a bit more relaxed in my mornings, and my schedule doesn't have to be so tight. So I get a bit of a breather there for the summer. I got nothing else for you, really, so let's just go ahead and get into today's story. I will start off by saying that I almost didn't want to do this story today. I'll tell you about the why after I tell you the story. So go ahead and get comfortable, because today I'm going to highlight the death of Nabra Hassanin. Nabra was 17 years old. She was a Muslim girl growing up in Reston, Virginia. When school was set to start in August, she would have entered her junior year of high school. As a Muslim, the month of Ramadan is a sacred time. So I'm going to pause the story for a second and I'm going to give you a quick Cliff Notes version of what exactly Ramadan is. So to set the stage as what this means to this religion and how that incorporates with our story. So Ramadan is the holy month of fasting. According to Islamic traditions, On one of the last 10 nights of Ramadan, God revealed to the prophet Muhammad the Quran. This time is supposed to be one of communal prayer and reading of the Quran, and it is believed that God forgives the past sins of those who observe this holy month with fasting, prayer, and faithful intention. During this month, the Muslims practice self-restraint, so from dawn to dusk, they not only fast from food, but they also fast from drink and sex, unkind and impure thoughts, and any other form of immoral behavior. So now that I've set the stage, you fully understand what this time period means. So that makes what I'm about to tell you next that much harder to hear. June 18th, 2017, during the final 10 days of Ramadan, Nabra Hassanin and her family were about 30 miles west of Washington, D.C. 
They were worshiping at the All Duels Area Muslim Society Center, which going forward, I will refer to as the Adam Center. The family was staying at the mosque that night, along with multiple other families. How I read it, it came off as kind of like a church lock-in, or if you remember like the church lock-ins or the school lock-ins, where you stay at the building overnight and there's a group of all of you, um, and you know, there's all kinds of activities and things. So Nabra and about 15 other friends were there and they got hungry. So remember during Ramadan, you have to fast from dawn to dusk. So between 3 to 4 a.m., the group decided to sneak out and go grab something to eat so they could be done and back before dawn. Now, think back to when you were a teenager. We do not judge. Put yourself back in that mentality, 16, 17 years old. It is not unheard of to have a group of teenagers in one area and that group figures out how to sneak out of wherever they're at. So they did sneak out and they also knew they had to be back prior to dawn. So they figured they could be there and back before anyone even recognized that they were gone. Nara wasn't the ringleader of this. In fact, she really didn't want to go, but she didn't want to get left behind either. And she felt like they needed an extra body to help look out and make sure everything was okay. So she made the trip with them to McDonald's. Everything was going great on their little sneaky food run. That is, up until they left McDonald's. On their way back to the Adams Center, they got into a dispute with the man who was driving a red car. One of the teens were riding a bike and the red car came up closely behind the kid on the bike and the car, the man in the car started honking his horn at the kids and that started a full yelling match between the guy in the red car and these teenagers. I'm going to pause and I'm just going to say like, I have realized that I have reached that age in adulthood where teenagers are kids because I've recognized that I've called these teenagers kids and I've interchanged these two. So again, when I say kids, I'm also referring to the teenagers. It's the same group. I guess I've just reached that level of adulthood where it all comes out the same to me. Uh, where was I? So yeah, so the person in the red car got really close behind the, uh, the kid on the bike and it, they started going back and forth and yelling at each other. And so now the person in the red car is still staying really close behind them and to where the person in the red car jumps the curb and is now basically chasing these kids down with the vehicle. The guy ends up stopping the car in the middle of this parking lot and all of the teens scattered away in different directions to try to run away from this man. The man gets out of the car and he starts now chasing these kids with a baseball bat in hand. Out of the 15 teenagers, all but one of them were able to get away. Nabra Hassanin managed to get caught by the guy in the red car. When he got a hold of Nabra, he hit her in the head with the baseball bat and then put her body into his vehicle and sped off. As he sped away, all of the other teens that were there kept running and they ran back to the Adams Center to tell everyone who was there what had just happened and to get help. They came back to the parking lot location, this time with adults with them, to go to get Nabra, but when they got back to the parking lot, where they left her, the man, his car, and Nabra were gone. 
The police were immediately called in no later than 4 a.m. within an hour of the teens originally leaving the Adams Center. The Fairfax County Police Department was on the scene looking for Nabra. One of the teens who were with Nabra was able to give a full description of the vehicle that the man was driving, and the search was on. After a few hours, a vehicle matching the description was found and pulled over. The driver of the car was a man who was wearing no shoes, no shirt, and he had scratches all over his upper body. His body was also covered with dirt and leaves. Inside the vehicle, there was a bloody handprint on the console. But one thing that was still missing was Nabra. She was nowhere to be found in the vehicle. Police questioned the man and eventually he gave in and confessed to the police that her body could be found in a nearby pond. When cops went to the area that they were directed in by the man, Nabra was there. Around 3 p.m., about 12 hours from the time she originally left the mosque, her lifeless body was found nude in a pond. Her skull was fractured, and her neck and one of her arms were broken. Who was this man, and what could have caused him to do such a disgusting act? Was this just a road rage gone bad? Police quickly got to work to figure out exactly what the answers to those questions were. Darwin Martinez Torres was the name of the man they had in custody, a 22-year-old construction worker. With further investigation into Darwin, they found that he was an illegal immigrant from El Salvador, but there was no record that ICE had ever had any encounters with Darwin at all prior to this. It didn't take long for Darwin to admit to the police what he had done. He admitted that when he drove off from the parking lot with Nabra, he took her to a place near his apartment. She was unconscious at the time, from when he hit her with the baseball bat, but she wasn't dead. He would then remove her pants and sexually assault her. Some of the articles that I read said that she was sexually assaulted with a foreign object, but there is nothing saying what that object may have been. After the assault, he dumped her body and he left. The exact cause of Nabra's death was blunt force trauma to her head. If you would have asked anyone around, their immediate thoughts were that this had to be some kind of hate crime. When the group of teens were out, they were wearing traditional Muslim robes, and Nabra had a hijab head wrap on at the time that she was taken, so it was obvious that she was Muslim. Even Nabra's father said that he strongly believes that his daughter was killed because of her Muslim identity. Within 24 hours of police arresting Darwin, the Fairfax County PD tweeted out a statement shutting down the idea that this was any kind of hate crime. After arresting Darwin and hearing the confession, they didn't find that this heinous crime had anything to do with any anti-Muslim feelings. The department held a news conference where the county spokesperson said, quote, It appears that the suspect became so enraged over this traffic argument that it escalated into deadly violence, end quote. In October, four months after Nabra was murdered, Darwin was indicted and he pled guilty to four counts of capital murder, three counts of rape, and one count of abduction. The prosecution was seeking the death penalty. 
Nabra's family was being represented by the Council on American Islamic Relations, which is a Muslim civil rights group. At the preliminary hearing, supporters, along with family and friends of Nabra, stood outside the Fairfax County Courthouse protesting. Inside the courtroom, things were even more tense. As expected, emotions were extremely high that day. When Darwin walked into the courtroom, Nabra's mother threw a shoe at him, and her father lunged out at him, saying, You killed my daughter. During all of this, Darwin didn't show any kind of reactions toward them. I'm going to pause right here, and I'm going to say I stand behind that 1,000%. As a parent, the thought of being in the same room with your child's murderer, especially knowing how she was murdered... Whether we're in a courtroom or not, I don't think I can control myself either. So props to those parents. As I had mentioned, the prosecution was laying out what happened and they wanted to get the death penalty. Outside of what we already know about the crime, a few other things had been discovered. Turns out that Darwin was drunk at the time. He had had somewhere between 13 to 16 alcoholic beverages that night and he had smoked some synthetic weed prior to the incident. Not only that, but a few days prior to him killing Nabra, a lady went to the ER and told him that Darwin punched, choked, and sexually assaulted her. She also told him that he was a member of the criminal gang MS-13. She ended up not pressing charges, most likely because she feared for her life. The cops did speak to the gang affiliation, saying that they had no credible information to say that he was, in fact, a part of that gang. The defense, they didn't just lay down quietly. They tried to show that Darwin was intellectually disabled and that further evaluation should be done to see if he even had the mental capacity to face a death penalty case. Things such as significant cognitive limitations, poor memory, Severely impaired judgment and functional illiteracy were cited. Basically saying that he wasn't the smartest crayon in the box, his memory was poor, his judgment was severely impaired, and that he couldn't read. They also said that Darwin struggled to even follow the legal arguments that were happening. In November, Darwin pled guilty to rape and murder, and with his plea, He accepted life without the possibility of parole, so he was able to avoid the death penalty. Darwin finally spoke out at his sentencing. He had written a letter that he would read out loud in court with the words being verbalized through a Spanish interpreter. He said, I am very sorry for what I did. I took the life of a person who was very loved. I don't make excuses for what I did. Nothing can justify my crime. I'm willing, and I just want to help Nabra Hassanen. I'm willing, and I just want to help Nabra Hassanen's family. I will do everything or anything to help them. End quote. Darwin was officially sentenced to eight life sentences without the possibility of parole in March of 2019. Nabra's death was a strong hit on her community. It was immediately seen at her funeral, which about 5,000 people attended. 
Outside of family and friends, most of the attendees were Muslim, and there were some Christians and Jews there as well who came to show their respects. On Nabra's 18th birthday, her family and friends honored her by taking part in a charity event and giving back to others. On her 19th birthday, the acts of service in Nabra's honor continued by them making hygiene and food bags for the homeless. They called those bags Nabra's Blessing Bags, and they gave them out to about a thousand people that were in the D.C. area. Even though they were able to make some good out of it, the pain is still just as strong. Mo Black, a friend of the family, said, quote, The cuts are still there. The pain is still there. Nothing has changed at all. You do hear about killings, but it's never been this big of a blow, especially in the Muslim community out here. So this is something that is very fresh, something that is very new. End quote. A group that tends to get overlooked in this tragedy are the other 14 teenagers that were there with Nabra that night. The ones that ran off and just so happened to not be caught by Darwin. They've stayed quiet, not speaking out in the public, but their silence speaks volumes. People who know them say that there is a lot of survivor's guilt among the group. It has led to them fighting with each other and a lot of finger pointing for who was to blame. And that's not just amongst the teens, but their families as well. They all feel even worse that they ran off and left her there, especially the men who have expressed a feeling of emasculation. Abdiya Ali, who was a youth coordinator for the Adam Center at the time, said that even she felt the guilt. She was there that night, and she was one of the ones that was in charge of monitoring the group. She should have been there to stop them from going out, but... She herself had went out with another friend to grab food, assuming that the rest of the teens were in for the night. They had other people that were there left to monitor them, but maybe if there had been those additional eyes on them, they would have gotten caught stinking out and none of this would have ever happened. Abdiba feels strongly that all of the teens that were involved need help the most, but they didn't get it. The mosque did offer counseling sessions, but majority of the teens didn't accept it. Just like in many minority cultures, there is such a taboo behind counseling and mental health issues. So the kids and their parents felt that it wasn't necessary. I mentioned at the start of this story that I questioned whether or not I should even do this story. It wasn't because I didn't think that Nabra was deserving of being highlighted, but more so because I didn't want the fact that Darwin was an illegal immigrant to overshadow what happened. I even thought about whether or not I should leave that part of the story in, but obviously I decided to keep it. I've highlighted quite a few people so far, and even when it's not what we wish to hear, I do my best to report the facts and just add my opinion where I can without taking away from the facts. I can say that Darwin's immigration status is just that, a fact in the story, but it had nothing to do with the crime. This crime just so happens to have been committed by an illegal immigrant. However, if you think about all of the other stories that I've done, there is no evidence saying that crimes that are just as bad, if not worse than this one, 
don't most often get committed by someone who is a citizen of the country that the crime happens in. So I hate to say I hope you enjoyed it because Nabra gave her life for me to be able to give you this story. But I will say, just like Nabra's friends, I hope that we all take the time to recognize not only how short life is, but how we can use the life that we are still gifted to have and make things even a tad bit better for others. Thank you for everyone for hanging out today. And if you haven't already, make sure to follow the Seasoned Crime Instagram page. Also, make sure to rate and comment on Apple Podcast. Let me know how you're feeling about everything. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll be back next Tuesday to tell you another story about a minority. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Seasoned Crime. Today's episode was researched, edited, and recorded by your host, Jasmine Nicole.